0: Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Joining us today, we have Sasha Long. Hi, Sasha. Are you there? I guess. I'm here. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Do you mind by starting uh, us off with a brief introduction for our listeners?
1: Sure. So I am a former special education teacher. Um, I taught in a self contained class for 10 years. During that time, I became a BCBA, which looking back was great at the time. It was very challenging to work full-time and go to school, but it was great because I got to go to class at night and learn about all these full ABA principles and come back to my classroom and put it into practice right away. I have to do my supervision and my thesis in my classroom, which was really amazing. In hindsight, not at the time. At the time, it was a pain, but it at the time, you know, looking back, it was really great and kind of tied everything together for me. So what I was doing in the education world, and you know, becoming a behavior analyst. Um, so I have a website, the AutismHelper.com, where which I started when I was in a classroom. Just to, I really didn't have a full intention then. I just started wanting to share ideas and pictures and resources and strategies that other teachers could use in their classroom. And that just kind of snowballed from there. People started asking me to come um, to training, and I started moving into more of a consultative role, growing our blogger team. We now have eight bloggers on our website. We have a multidisciplinary team, OT, SLP, parents, um, and teachers preschool through transition. I do a lot of trainings for district and special ed teachers and conferences, and I have a podcast, the Autism Health Podcast, and I create curriculum, so I
0: do kind of a little bit of everything. (laughs) (laughs) You do a lot of everything. I don't think a little (laughs) bit at all. (laughs) So you mentioned that you were originally a special education teacher, and then while you're a special education teacher, you are pursuing your certification as a behavior analyst. Did you have a consultant come into your classroom? Is there, like, what drew you into ABA from education?
1: You know, what drew me into ABA was really just wanting to do better and to do more for my kids. And I really, you know, I fell in love with the students in my class. Like, I taught junior high for 10 years. I'm 5 feet tall. I had like, 10 teenage boys that were, like, double the size of me. Um, But I loved them. And I had a lot of challenging behavior and I didn't know what to do like I really didn't feel prepared and like I had enough education and training so in researching you know what to do next I kind of came across APA and started reading about it and learning about it and then what I was reading learn about it made sense it was like doesn't everyone feel the world this way kind of thing and there was a program, I live in Chicago, there was a program in Chicago, and I just decided to go
0: all in and get my master's in ABA. Wow. Go all in, indeed. <laughs> most, <laughs> most teachers, you know, I think would find it very hard, as you mentioned, you're juggling a lot in your classrooms, um, and then also to kind of add in additional schooling. So, when you were getting your supervision, you were doing that while in the classroom, is that correct? Yes. Um, yes. Can you a little bit about, like, what that looked like and um, how your supervisor was involved and what kind of feedback you got. I think that yeah. would be really interesting for teachers. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, the stars aligned, but I think the stars, that's, like, super non-behavioral, but I really do think it's just somehow things worked out how they were supposed to, all, all the paper schools, but, you know, a, a Ph.D. student at my school, majority behavior analyst who, you know, wanted experience superv- supervising, and my school was luckily, near proximity to the, to the grad program. Um, so I had two different supervisors while I was teaching for my hours. And the thing that was great, I think if you are a special ed teacher, and I know a lot of special ed teachers are more and more looking to become a BCBA, and that supervision piece really hangs over people's heads. If you can, obviously work with administration in your school district, and finding a right supervisor can be really challenging. But if you can, Kind of, if you can't accomplish that, I think it can be really amazing because as a teacher, you likely have a pretty diverse group of students. You might have kids working on all different types of skill levels, all different types of behavior. So you'll hopefully get a really, really well-rounded supervision experience applying principles in a lot of different ways. So I was really lucky enough to have that happen. And, you know, that can obviously depending on where you're located and how, you know, post-DTBAs are. Um, It wasn't remote supervision. It was all in person. Uh, And we, you know, utilized, we set up ABLES, we did FAs, we wrote behavior plans, you know, we worked on IEPs together and things like that. So we really kind of covered a lot of ground because needs of my learners were so different. So it really was, um, you know, a great experience, although it can be tricky to kind of get all those logistics figured
0: out. You make a really good point about classrooms naturally having diverse sets of students, you know, in them, which when people are pursuing certification is really important to make sure that we're Mm -hmm. getting multiple exemplars, multiple examples so that we can generalize those skills. Another connection I'm making to what you're saying is when we are becoming behavior analysts or when we are being trained, Um, A lot of times we don't get coaching in how to be consultants or supervisors ourselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, part of the increased requirements and the supervision hours from the BACB perhaps. But in the classroom setting, especially if you're in a self-containing special education setting, you do have, you know, other staff to be delegating responsibilities to. So I imagine in some ways that kind of – opportunity is available did you have that in your classroom were you responsible for delegating um, to paraprofessionals or Mm -hmm. other specialists yes and and that's a great yeah it's a great connection too that
1: you know you have to right away like it's not you know the second half of your supervision it's right away that you're teaching these principles to your team and training your team on how to collect data and what's fluency like that was kind of one of my first bigger endeavors was Teaching one of my paraprofessionals to run a fluency station, and it ended up being so great that she really did it Until I left, it was kind of her realm, and she would teach other people. Like, but then actually, you didn't actually do that the right way. You don't start the timer till then. It it became her thing because, you know, she she was really good at it, which was great. But yeah, we had to you know to jump in with gas training right away, and that's something. You know, in education, there's not always a lot of training and, and how to delegate and work with your staff. And kind of similar as you made with, you know, with behavior analysts as well. Obviously, there's more guidelines on what you need to do to, you know, be a supervisor. But being a supervisor is really hard, whether that means a classroom teacher to your team members or as a behavior analyst to
0: people you're supervising. It's definitely a specific skill set. What do you think makes it easier or what are some strategies that you found when being a supervisor that helps you overcome some of the barriers that you maybe experienced when you were first in that situation? I think a lot of it is
1: not – not—it's a lot of it is mental. Like a lot of it is in your head on, you know, I feel weird and bad and awkward and uncomfortable telling someone else what to do. And I think with a lot of things it kind of comes back to that. Um, so I think identifying that can be a powerful step of, like, what's the thing that's holding you back? Is it just feeling uncomfortable sitting down with other people and explaining something to them? And if you can kind of get to that point where you're like, oh, man, all that's holding me back is feeling uncomfortable, okay, like, let's work through this. And and I think setting the teachers that I work with now, and I talked a lot about staff training with, um, my, you know, my podcast or with teachers I'm working with, is is you know, setting really achievable goals. Like I don't wanna we're not gonna jump in if we're new to staff training with you know running pretty complex like behavior hey, plans and teaching our, our staff to do it. But hey, this month we're just gonna make a team mission statement. That's all we're gonna do. Setting the achievable things we can do as a team to move us in the right direction to working more collaboratively and and starting to set those things in your schedule and becoming more comfortable doing it. You know, the more practice you have, hopefully, the more reinforcement you'll receive and the more comfortable you'll feel in that role as a supervisor, as a teacher, a lead teacher, whatever.
0: I love how you said the more reinforcement you'll receive and really kind of incorporating some of our behavioral principles, yeah. <laughs> you know, into the thought process here. And, of course, we are, are doing that as consultants and as teachers and behavior analysts. But, you know, I think back to when I was getting my hours, I also have an education background, as you know, and um, did my supervision while I was working in a classroom. And so I feel like in some ways we had we had that in common. And one thing that I really, really found useful was I started incorporating, like, assignments for my coursework or through my supervisor into, you know, things I needed to get done in my classroom. And so, for example, um, I had to train staff on data collection or data, you know, display. And I used a personalized system of instruction, like a PSI, kind of starting with the task analysis to try to train one staff so that they could then, as you mentioned, try to train another staff. Did you find in your program or in your experiences that you were also doing the same thing? And and if so, do you have any examples of that maybe for our listeners?
1: With staff training in particular?
0: Um, Just incorporating, I think, in general, um, any of those assignments kind of into your classroom. Like, how does it blend and work together?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of even touching back to that reinforcement concept, that's why I think, like, magic really can happen when you are in your role as a teacher and getting those hours is you're receiving reinforcement from two different sources. Like, this is making you better at your job, but it's also – teaching you the skills to be a behavior analyst and and also practicing it off your to-do list for your courses, which is a big reinforcer as well. Um, So that's always great. Um, Some big kind of projects that we worked on, one was like tackling the ABLEs and learning about how to do the ABLEs, how to, you know, gather information from it and then teach my team members to do the ABLEs. And that was a big, like, light bulb moment for me because I had had a lot of my students for several years, and I felt stuck with a lot of them on what goals to work on next. And then learning about the ABLES, I was like, oh, there's so many things I haven't worked on yet. And it was then fun to watch my team members, my dad, have a similar reaction, like, oh, I had never thought about teaching receptive propositions or non-identical matching. We have so much more to do. So it was kind of fun to get, you know, things that worked on assignments, but also made me better in the classroom. It was like really hitting both areas in a major way. So that was always really fun. Um, You know, anything, I mean, almost, I think everything, though, would align because it was always I would find a version of that assignment that was applicable to my classroom, of course, meeting the needs of my students and in my supervision hours. So it always kind of took on both roles, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think back, you know, as I was asking that question, I realized like, Oh man, that might be unfair to put you on the spot to kind of think of your projects and assignments. And... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what was it? Um, I remember, though, I was working with a student in my classroom with really intense and very unusual responses to um, particular stimuli in the environment, and I did, you know, assessment across both the school and the home, and that is a common practice now that I maintain is that no matter who's asked me to do an assessment, I'm always looking at the learner across environments. And yeah, like we're taught that, but like sometimes we kind of feel like all oh, well, of the barriers or it's not possible or who approves it. And sometimes it's not possible. But I just I really kind of feel like a lot of that is very formative and how we then, you know, practice ourselves. So thank you for yeah. sharing. It. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. Something that you've really spent a lot of your energy and time doing and thank you on behalf of our field and our and the clients and the consumers out there is you focus a lot on disseminating information and not just information, but resources to teachers as well. Um, how did you get, I know you said you had a classroom and then, you know, you kind of, you kind of, I feel like you didn't give yourself all the credit in your bio, just kind of kept going. So maybe we can <laughs> delve a little bit deeper and how did it become the autism helper, you know, how did you yeah. become the autism helper?
1: So, you know, I, I started, um, I went to grad school, I became a BCBA, I was still teaching, and, you know, I, I was, you know, even before becoming a BCBA, I was, I was really hungry for ideas, and I really wanted to know what to do, and I didn't feel prepared. Like, I felt like someone popped me in this classroom with 10 teenagers, and they're like, cool, I'll teach them to read, and I was like, Oh wait, wait, where's, where's, like, the stuff, like, the stuff I need to teach them to read, and they're like, oh, no, you do that. Um, so I felt honestly lost for you know, the first many years on um, you know, getting stuff together and, and feeling like I wasn't doing justice for my kids on um, like I want to teach them how to read and how to have friends and things like that. And important like big picture life skills. So as I started, you know, doing different things in my classroom, people wanted to come visit or people wanted to take pictures and people wanted to see what was going on there. So I was like, cool, I'm the greatest blog and I don't think I really knew what a blog was. This was a while ago. I was like, I'm going to start a blog to share ideas. And, you know, this was before Pinterest, before Instagram, before, like, the plethora of ideas that are out there. Um, And I would take videos of, like, me giving a tour of my class or me showing how I set up my data sheets or how I set up my schedules. And nothing fancy, you know, like, be on my phone and and that's it. And that really just grew from there. You know, people – started following me on Facebook or, you know, commenting on my website, and it, it snowballs. You know, people started asking, could you come do a training on this? And I was like, sure, I guess I could. And that was a big a big skill set to learn on the skill of presenting in front of a lot of people. That, that's not something I thought I would um, be doing with my career. But now I spend a big majority of my time traveling around, you know, the U.S. giving trainings. And I love it because I love – getting like all my people like in one room that get it. You know, and I think special ed teachers are so often on an island and they feel like alone and they're at trainings that maybe don't apply to them. So to get everyone in one room to me is always really great. And people that are in this field for the right reasons and so maybe not the right reasons, but they're there anyways and we're gonna learn. And a lot of times, you know, the the topics I'm asked to speak on are related to behavior change, but even when it's not, it's related to behavior change. Like, when we're talking about literacy, we're talking about behavior analytics principles when we're teaching new skills. So I'm kind of always taking ABA in there, even if they don't always know right away, because I want people to kind of see the power in even just the mindset of viewing the whole context that a behavior happens in and viewing behavior change with socially significant behaviors. So that's kind of how that started and
0: grew from there, and I added
1: the podcast on and, and all that good stuff.
0: And all that good stuff. You know, <laughs> you you talk about going and doing professional development, and something that I experienced as a teacher is you go to a class and it's for the entire school, um, may not be, you know, on a topic that's of interest to you, or it just may not pertain to your learners because they're so unique to the general norm of, you know, who the trainings are targeted for. So I think, you know, again, special education teachers are kind of a special, we would say, ohana or family or group, right? And Mm -hmm. it is nice to, to not feel so isolated. Um, but something else that kind of comes with, okay, let's say you get this great training at Sasha and she's going to help us, but then, you know, the, the presenter goes away. One of the yeah. amazing things that you've done is whether you're there in a formal capacity or not is your information remains accessible. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for the people who want to go above and beyond or for the people who said, hey, what was that again that she said and where do I learn more about that? You know, even long after maybe they kind of lose the email or the original PowerPoint, you've created um, resources that are permanent products. So I think that that's a huge contribution um, to the education and behavioral analytic field, and I just wanted to take the chance to say that to you. Um, Thank you.
1: (laughs) Well, I know you are passionate about that as well, so I really like that, you know, we have that in common.
0: Yeah, well, like finds like sometimes, you know, and um, I think that's also why I'm so grateful. It's like, oh, look, there's somebody standing next to me disseminating or, um, you know, hopefully you see yourself, you know, standing beside me and that's kind of tackling that world, the world out there. And like you said, when you can see the power. So it becomes kind of a formula for how we're going to tackle the next thing or the next situation that we're trying to kind of tackle in our classrooms or um, with administration or what have you. When you're doing talks on things, like you said, sometimes literacy, it's still behavior change. How do you find um, that you are able to blend those principles or concepts or that process uh, into the words and ways that other people are going to understand even if they don't have, you know, that background, or maybe they're yeah. even finding ABA aversive and they don't want to hear about it? Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have to tackle that sometimes. It's like, okay, let's, Let's talk out and in the room. If you think ABA is whatever, let's we're just gonna we're gonna talk about that. Um, and then you know, I am really passionate about speaking in regular language. I say motivate sometimes. I know it's crazy, um, and using terms that people understand. I also like to define and spend time teaching the new. I always call them the new fancy ABA terms because let's use the new fancy ABA terms. So. I, I spend a lot of time in training defining what terms mean and then also making sure um, and being very cognizant of the language that I'm using to make sure that everyone understands because in a, in a big group training, as I'm sure you know, it, it can be super varied, you know, veteran teachers, brand-new teachers, paraprofessionals, maybe Google, English is not their first language. So how can I reach everyone? And that's always, you know, speaking in language that everyone can access and Tons and tons of real-world examples. Like, usually a lot of the examples I give aren't even about students. They're about, like, me or my kid or my husband or something because showing that, you know, this is just human behavior and this applies to all of us. This isn't, you know, it's not, ABA isn't the science of autistic behavior or special ed behavior. It's the science of human behavior. And showing that these strategies and these concepts can really be applied and used across the board. Um to me, is always kind of like the the main theme I try to go for with a big group like that.
0: And do you have any, um, like, books, resources, recommendations uh, for readings that you'll give someone if they say, hey, Sasha, I really like what you were talking about, and I want to, how do I learn more about ABA? Do you do you have any yeah, kind of, like, user for That's you? a good question.
1: Um, I love Mary Barbera's book. I love Robert Schramm's book. Um, I don't suggest Cooper because that feels like intent to give to a teacher. Um, I need a better, like, that's good, a good prompt, Amanda. I need a better, like, reference list um, for people. I give I share Dr. Hamley's articles all the time. I think his um, website is pretty parent and teacher friendly. Um, but I need, I need a little better arsenal. I usually have to, like, tell people I'm going to get back to them because I always want to think about, like, their skill set and what they're trying to learn about to think about the best.
0: You know, when I first started Behavior Babe, I would, I found myself often saying to someone, I'll email you in in the day or I'll get right back to you. And then I felt this responsibility of getting back to all these people. So I was like, you know what, um, behaviorbabe.com. But then it was yeah. funny because I was like, now here's a page for teachers oh, of middle schoolers. Now here's a page for special. Now here's a, and then you find like, well, yeah, it is really specific to what you want to learn about because if you're not really kind of focusing on language acquisition for an early learner, then, you know, Mary Barbera's book um, yeah. might not be the right fit. If you're trying to, you know, learn about something philosophical, you know, sure, maybe you want to read Skinner's and Two, but teachers probably aren't coming at that, yeah. that <laughs> you know, aspect. So it is more of like, hmm, um, when I get asked that question, I think similar to you, I give, Um, some references and some online resources that are of, of course, from reputable researchers and practitioners. But uh, sometimes that's a little bit more palatable. Um, And then, you know, creating things like the podcast that you've created um, also gives that chance for people to kind of almost have a conversation with you um, or Mm -hmm. at least listen to the conversation that we're having on those topics. So, um, yeah, I, I appreciate that answer. And I do think that you know, maybe maybe I should have a, a larger arsenal or we should look and see if we can. I know. It's a question of that
1: stumps me a lot, and I feel like it shouldn't stump me, but I'm always like, you know, I want to give, I want to value people's time, and people don't always have a lot of time to do extra reading. So I'm like, well, wait, let me think of the best thing to tell you here. Um, and, it, yeah, like you said, it's so dependent on the group and what they want to learn about.
0: Yeah. Something else you said earlier that um, really resonated with me was, when you were making videos of your classroom, it was like you on your phone, nothing fancy. And I think people feel that they need to be fancy in dissemination, and uh-huh. that's not the case, right? I mean, well, oh. <laughs> oh my gosh, not at
1: all. No, like I'm not fancy. Like, and even if I like seem fancy now, or like I have stuff together because I have like the logo, it's only because I've been doing it for a while. Um, but like you know, when I started, it was like. You know, I think I had my first camera phone, and it was just me talking about stuff, and it was and just me talking real, like, even how I am now. Like, I, I'm not making sure I'm using perfect behavior analytic phrases and words. I'm just explaining it how I would explain to, like, explain a concept to a friend or to a colleague that's not in the ABA world. And, you know, I get intimidated now, actually, talking to large groups of CBAs. I've done to sessions lately that have been to all these CBAs. And to me, actually, that is more intimidating than a large group of teachers, because I'm like, oh, God, I'm not, I'm not using technical language. And, but I'm like, that's not my thing. Like, and that's okay, but that's not my thing. That's other people's thing. I can do it if I need to, but that's not where I live. Like, I just want to
0: talk to people in a way that's understandable and that everyone, you know, can relate to. Yeah, I think that's how we're going to be palatable to a whole other part of the you know population. And, of course, there's a place for the technical language. And, yes, we need to be able to know how to do that. But I kind of um, was chuckling a little bit over here when you're like, you know, you feel intimidated by large rooms of of our <laughs> colleagues and peers. And it's like, yeah, I think we all do. That's kind of that fear <laughs> with, like, oral exams at the end of a semester or, you know, a thesis committee or something. You know, it's like, yeah, no. No, thanks. Um, but <laughs> in that way, we can relate, I think, to the feelings teachers must feel when, when, you know, we're coming in as a consultant and saying, like, hey, let me let me help you. By saying let yeah. me help you, it implies that something is wrong. Um, and, you know, I think even by the nature of saying I want to help and, and that being the nicest phrase we could say, you know, People have their own worries and fears and intimidation. So I, I was just kind of chuckling. I'm like, yes, there's all these parallels out there. You're right. There are so many parallels. You're right. <laughs> Human behavior. It's astounding. And I'll definitely make sure I post a link to all of your resources and your sites out there. And for anyone else who's interested in learning more about Applied Behavior Analysis, visit www.behaviorbabe.com.